So, um, as you all know, we just have had a, a week of retreat from uh, um, the 21st to the 28th. And as, uh, you know, things can happen, especially when one goes on retreat, just exactly the day when our retreat started, workmen came and started to dig up the, the street just in front of our house in order to exchange the, the sewage pipes. So they had to really dig very, very deep into the, into the road. And it was like a really a big um, assembly of, of huge machines and, and many men. And um, it was very um, noisy so that the whole house, you know, started to shake like with an earthquake. And so that was the first thing you know we noticed on the first day of the retreat so what we did is we we took all of our shrine and so on and, and we we started to move the whole um, monastery basically into the into the kitchen area and we put the room dividers up in the kitchen so we had kitchen on one side and and uh, shrine room on the other side and so we f we found a way you know to deal with it and and then, interesting enough, <laughs> the next day the workmen didn't come back. <laughs> and then there was, a, because it was Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So we had actually only about two days of, 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 um, of work going on. And then they just started to work again on the last day of our retreat. So it was an interesting um, dance, you know, which we got uh, pulled into by life. And... And actually, we enjoyed very much to sit in this different space, and it it was a very nice space, and we got really used to it very quickly, and and it was, you know, it was different than what we thought, but it was was good. And I think, you know, that's what very much the teaching is all about, you know, saying basically, you know, if we have the ability to be you know, flexible and, and, you know, not move away from um, what life is bringing to us. If, if we can open to it, then we'll always, you know, find a way to respond, which is, you know, bringing us into equilibrium and bringing us into, into a response to, to what's happening. Because if we have, you know, enough um, capacity to be able to open to what is approaching us, then we are able, you know, to come into real contact with reality and through that, you know, connection, connecting with what is happening, we'll know how to respond. I mean, the example I just gave is, is, a, is a very small thing. But it's a good example, you know, of uh, responding to the circumstances and then, you know, coming to a new basis of dealing with what has to be dealt with and coming to a new equilibrium, a new way of, you know, being at peace with, with circumstances. You know, during this retreat, we, we have called it a meta-retreat because we felt, you know, after the 
journey we have been on over the last month since you know, since the beginning of this year really a lot has happened in, in our lives. We have been as you all know, you know, we've been leaving our old community and we have been coming over here committing us to this project, committing ourselves to this project and actually, you know, working with a lot of uncertainty because, you know, it's very unclear how it's all going to unfold. We do have a clear vision of what we are working towards, but how it will take shape is very unclear. So, you know, in order to be able to work with, the, with this um, amount of, of uncertainty, uh, it, it's very important, you know, to be able to uh, open up again and again to all of the different, you know, feelings in the body and in the in the mind, you know, it, which can be triggered by if the, you know, if the kind of uh, amount of uncertainty one is dealing with is going over a certain amount of fact, different factors which are unclear, it can become rather unpleasant, which you might know from your own experience. So, you know, to be able to open up to all of this is is the only way to practice with it. But as you might know from your own experience, it's it's not something which does come easy, at least for me. So even, you know, we were having a meta retreat, uh, I was actually working a lot with, with resistance myself. And, and what I did, you know, during the meta retreat, uh, it was more like, you know, working with my resistance by embracing it with uh, a mind of loving kindness, really. Because that is really the only way how we can, how we can be with resistance. You know, to, to hold it with a, a warm and loving embrace rather than trying, you know, to uh, brace ourselves against our fears and against our doubts. Because that just doesn't work at all and it just makes it all uh, much more tense. And I think the only way is really to deeply connect uh, and deeply look and, and um, deeply and de uh, fully understand those fears. It's really the only way so to really uh, make friends, you know, with this scared little ego, this scared little child, you know, and uh, treat it like we would treat a little child which is afraid. We don't say to the child, I mean, some people do say, but, you know, people who understand um, and who have uh, how, how reasonably healthy psychologically they would not shout at a child and say, you know, stop being afraid, but they would hold the child, you know, in their arms and, and just, you know, talk to it and pacify it and reassure it. And I think this is the same, you know, what we um, can do with our egos if they are, you know, stressed by circumstances. And you know, giving it 
a loving attention and looking after ourselves basically. You know, when we are feeling, you know, that the ego is really very contracted and it feels like, you know, it's wearing an armor, defending itself against all these perceived, you know, threats and scenarios which might happen in the future. And just, you know, really feeling that contraction and really feeling that armor and, and, you know, embracing it with a lot of warmth and a lot of uh, loving kindness so that, you know, the ego starts to take off the armor by itself. It just starts to melt away through the warmth, not through kind of attacking it, you know, and rationalizing and uh, trying, you know, to tear off the armor or to cut it off or pull it off or push it off. It, it just doesn't work. But the warmth, you know, of the of attending to it with kindness, that's the only way how the ego will take off the armor. It's just because it will melt. It will just melt away. Because it's not needed any longer. And then it might just come back again and then we can again come back to that warm embrace and and if we have, you know, if, if it's difficult for us, you know, to hold our own mind and our own heart with that warmth, then we can maybe, you know, just uh, bring up a perception which can trigger that response in ourselves. For me, it's like if I think about a little baby or a little baby animal or something like that. Or if I imagine myself, even when I was a baby, can get, get a photo out and look at it. And just, you know, try to uh, connect with, with that kind of a caring energy within myself. And, and this is what I have been doing, you know, during the retreat. And, and just, um, you know, becoming very clear that the, the key to being able to open up to what's happening lies in uh, understanding, you know. And that's, it's the first noble truth which has to be understood that there is uh, a suffering. And, you know, the suffering is not like, uh, you know, this statement is often misunderstood as being kind of a, a quite negative outlook onto life. and. You know, the Buddha's whole teaching can be summarized, as he said himself, you know, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. But suffering doesn't mean, you know, that all life is suffering, but it just means that, you know, if we are trying, you know, to have a certainty in, a, in an ever-changing universe, then there will be suffering. But if we you know, can live in, in a way which is in accordance with uh, the laws of nature, then there will be unsatisfactory, uh, unsatisfactoriness and uncertainty, but there won't be any suffering. So therefore, you know, the, the first noble truth about, you know, saying that there is suffering has to be understood and 
I always, you know, think about how Arjun Sumedha was explaining that because that was a very, and I've never forgotten his uh, way of speaking about it. He said, you know, understood means, you know, you stand under it, like you would stand under, like say, under an umbrella or something, you know. You really, you stand under it and you let, you, you allow yourself to be completely in it. And you just, again and again, you know, you come back watching the mind, how it is, by how it does with standing under that suffering. Of course, it has a tendency to contract, but then again and again, just coming back to it and opening. And just, you know, coming from that, uh, from an interest of wanting to understand fully what is happening here. And this is the key, you know, to opening up, because if we can really fully be with uh, the experience, then we start, we can't help but notice that it is changing. So that, you know, makes immediately a kind of a, a gap into the experience of suffering, because if, it's because if it's not always the same, if it's changing, then of course the quality of our experience is changing and it's not you know, possible to be 24 hours, seven days a week constantly in extreme suffering. It has nuances to it. So that's the first way you know, of how we can see that you know, it's actually a process. It's not like a, a solid thing which is, which is always the same, but it's a process which is changing and and then suddenly, you know, that ever-changing process, this uncertainty, starts to have a taste of, of freedom to it. So it's not only something to be afraid of, but suddenly we start to notice, no, it has a quality of freedom to it. And then, you know, through increasing observation and, you know, practice over time, we can you know, befriend ourselves with this uncertainty and can, you know, notice more and more that it has a quality of freedom to it. So, you know, this is, um, you know, this is like kind of a deepening and a maturing of, of the practice, where in the beginning, you know, we are mainly, our practice is mainly concerned, you know, with becoming aware of what's happening in the body, what's happening in the mind and you know what is arising what is ceasing there but then you know through increasing uh, power of observation it starts to give way that we become aware of the attitude uh, with which we are you know receiving experience and this is a much more powerful practice and has much more powerful effect onto our you know daily uh, the quality of our daily lives <clears throat> if we start to notice actually how we are with experience and then you know we can start to make space around experience because we start to notice you know that there is this main two different ways you know how we are receiving experience by either wanting more of something which we consider to be pleasant and and a good thing and we don't want or we want less of the unpleasant. And, you know, if we come to this more mature stance uh, in our practice, we 
we start to become aware, you know, how we are actually, you know, making more out of everything by either pushing or pulling at it. And I've just recently heard or read like a, a lovely example of how Ajahn Chah was teaching. Uh, you know, he would just say this, there was like a big stone would lie, a like boulder would be lying on the ground. And he would say, is this, is this, heavy, is this a heavy stone? And then people say, yes, yeah, very heavy, very heavy. It's very big, boulders are very heavy. And he would say, you know, as long as you don't want to sh shift it away from the place where it lies, or as long as you, you don't want to push it away, it's neither heavy nor, nor light. It's just what it is. So, you know, as long as you're not picking it up, and wanting it to be different from what it is. It's just a boulder. It's not heavy. It's just that. And that's exactly, you know, what is meant with the, with the teaching of, of non-attachment or, you know, of being aware of what's going on. It's, it's like, you know, letting the boulder just be what it is, suchness. It is what it is. It's neither heavy or it's light. It's just a boulder. And this is, you know, I found this a very uh, good example. Also, what's happening for, if you go on a retreat and you have suddenly, you know, 30 workmen and, and lots of big machinery in front of your door, you can just make a very big, um, unfortunate experience out of it. Or you can just say, okay, there's these workmen out there and there's these signs that say they start to work on this day and they stop on that day. And then you just consider, okay, and then because you are not getting flustered too much by it, you just kind of, you know, bringing all of the information together and then you, you make a decision and find a solution and, and act accordingly. And, and then, you know, you might have to, you know, sacrifice some of the plans you have had originally, but you don't know it might be actually turn out better than what you thought. There's always that possibility there if, if we take the, the risk of giving it a try. And I, there's a story which I have already told, I think, once or twice, but I can't resist of telling it again because it's, it's a very simple and, and good uh, illustration of exactly that. There's a farmer, uh, a poor farmer, living in, in a small cottage with his wife and his son. And, you know, one day his only horse, which he needs for plowing the field, is, is getting lost one day. It's, it's running away and, you know, everybody in the village is, is saying, oh, you know, you're such a poor man, now you lost your horse. You don't have, you know, any uh, body helping you plowing the field. What an unfortunate thing happening to you that will be really, you know, very difficult now for your life. And he is a wise man and he just says, oh, who knows what's going to happen? You know, who knows? Let's see. And then the next day or so his horse is coming back and coming back with a second horse, which, which that horse met somewhere on the way. So then suddenly he has two horses, and he's, wow, this is amazing, that's great, wonderful. So everybody says, wow, that's great. And then he says, who knows? 
and then you know his his only son is helping him to kind of break in that new horse which came back and when he's doing that he's falling off the horse and break his leg and then everybody in the village say oh now your only son who is helping you plowing the fields you know he's broken his leg uh, this will be very difficult for you and the man says who knows let's see what's going to happen next and then the next day you know the um, officials coming from the big city because they're looking for able-bodied men who can go to war and because his son has a broken leg he doesn't have to go to war so then everybody in the village say, oh, you're so fortunate, your son had a broken leg and therefore he doesn't have to go to war and our sons all had to go to war. I'm not quite sure if they're going to come back. So that's, you know, I think you get a taste of what I, what I mean. You know, it depends, you know, where are you, going, where are you stopping, in order, where you set the boundaries in order to, you know, ascertain if this is good or bad. Because in the end of the day, nothing is good or bad. Everything is just what it is, and it depends in which context you are evaluating it, if it's good or bad. And I find it a very um, reassuring way of, of looking at experience, because in my own life that has happened as well very strongly, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure in everybody's life, you know. For example... You know, what has brought us all to the path, most likely it was something, you know, some kind of suffering. Looking back onto what brought me to the path, I'm, I'm very grateful for that it happened in my life, that it gave me, you know, the incentive uh, to look for a teaching and gave me the, you know, enough um, energy and enough perseverance to, to stay with it long enough so that, that I could really... Uh, see the benefits of it. So it really is very important, you know, to have this um, bigger vision on experience and to see it in context, because then, you know, it it loses its uh, its sting really, and it and, and and it becomes more clear that it is, you know, everybody who is born is going to experience suffering. I mean, there has nobody ever been born as a human being as long as that uh, person wasn't fully enlightened. There was always suffering. And, you know, my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, his pictures here on the, on the wall, I was, I never forget how he always addressed, you know, people when, when he gave a Dhamma talk. He always started with saying, you know, dear friends in old age, sickness and death. In the beginning, I just thought it was a bit negative, really, I mean, to start a talk like this. But then, you know, over time, I, I just started to see, yeah, I mean, believe it or not, this is really true. We are all friends in old age, sickness and death. And I think it's better to name it than to try to pretend that this is not happening. You know, we are living here on the West Coast in a culture where people are trying to pretend that this is not happening and it's not going to um, be very successful, you know. Even if people are going to shop the whole shopping malls of San Francisco till the last shelf, you know, it's not going to stop this old age sickness and death. 
So meanwhile, I find it very endearing that he spoke to people like this. You know, he took a risk to say something to people which they didn't like to hear. Out of love, you know, out of, out of compassion, wisdom and compassion. Because, you know, this old age, sickness and death, if we really take it in, it can be an incentive to give us, you know, energy to practice um, a sense of urgency, basically. And because, you know, everything which we experience in our lives, we can use it for waking up. And, and then to do it today we were chanting, and I just want to point that out. Because it's it's very much you know in the chant the text of the chanting is it's all a, a lot of it is besides you know praising the Buddha the Dhamma and the Sangha it also has has uh, certain passages of the teaching in it and today we were when we were chanting uh, on page eight the homage to the Dhamma it's saying you know Santitiko apparent here and now so that means you know. Whenever you are willing to look, it's it's there. Everything, you know, if you look in the mind, you look in the body, or you look at somebody else, or just looking at the carpet, or at the candle flame, it's everywhere. And Akaliko says it's timeless, you know, it's not depending on, on any particular time in history, or time of day or anything, it's always the same. And then ehi pasiko, ehi means come here. It is an encouraging investigation, it's translated here, but ehi pasiko actually means, you know, come and see. Just, you know, come and see means just turn your awareness towards it, turn your mindfulness towards it, and you can't help but seeing it. And opanaiko means, you know, leading inwards. That means, you know, that through doing those first steps I've just been mentioning, it, it does lead you inwards because we can see, you know, outwards we can't control, but we can look inwards how we are dealing with it. This is where the freedom lies, not by trying to, you know, control everything outside, even if we do work, of course, with what's happening outside, but where we can really come to the freedom is if we deal with what we bring to what's happening outside, what we bring from inside to it, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion, basically. And then the last one is like Pachatang Vedita Bovin Yuhi, to be experienced individually by the wise. You know, the Buddha can give us the teaching that the Buddha has. You know, the teaching of the Buddha is like basically guidelines for us to investigate in our own experience. Because if we just read the books, the books, you know, the, the books are not written to tell us the way things are, but it's, it, they are written to encourage us to investigate the way things are and giving us, you know, certain instructions. So we don't have to, we don't have to have the same, you know, kind of wisdom and compassion as the Buddha had because he has left us instructions and we can work with them. So we are, you know, much, we can be quicker because we don't have to invent the, the Dhamma wheel, so to say, because he has done that for us. And there's all of those books and there's also different 
Dhamma teachers, you know, who teach it. And, and we just have to, you know, bring it back into our own experience because this is where the freedom lies. If we experience within our own um, body and mind, and if we really witness laws uh, uh, of nature, if we really witness them happening with our own experience, that's where the freedom lies, because then we can see it's not a personal you know, misfortune of you or me, but this is, is something which we all share as human beings in this birth. And, and because that's you know, what we all share as the human race, we can, um, you know, there's, there's certain ways how we can meet those uh, laws of nature which lead to freedom rather than to more bondage. And for example, you know, keeping the, the five precepts is, 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 a, is the basics. We are starting with that. And then on, on, on that we can build, you know, a, a practice of meditation where we familiarize our minds with, with reality, basically. And at the same time, also, you know, we're purifying the mind. And through increasing purification of the mind, we have more power, you know, to connect with the way things are. And, and then, you know, if we have more ability to connect with the way things are, there's more insight there, resulting in wisdom and compassion, and so on and so forth. It's like a spiral, you know. And it's not a spiral, you know, going up, 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 but it's a spiral going down, down, down. It brings us more and more down to the ground out of our heads, you know, out of the fantasizing and more into connection with, with reality, bringing us down to the, to the ground. And it's not always a pleasant experience, but that's how the path is. You know, the path is all about embracing what's happening in the present moment and there's a certain amount of suffering for everybody in there in this life, at least for me. And the good news is, is that embracing this very suffering in our lives is the path. This is where we learn, you know, to understand it, to fully stand under it and, and be with it as it is. And then, you know, extracting insight through really staying with it. So you know, no, no, no matter what's happening, if we if we can remember, you know, that the path is embracing experience as it is, then everything is gonna go in the right direction. You know, even if it doesn't feel like it. And I've recently I read it in a book of Jack Kornfield, actually. I haven't read it, but somebody has read it to me. He has, he has devised a, a little um, help, you know, that if we get lost in our experience, he has devised like a, a word which we can remember, and, and I'm going to explain it to you. The word is very simple, rain. So, you know, if you're getting lost in experience, if you can remember that word, rain, and he said, you know, the first R is recognize. You know, recognize 
I've gotten lost because I've gotten lost in you know either wanting more of something or not wanting something and then the next letter is A accept accept you know that you have gotten lost accept that you are you know in turmoil or experience suffering which means you know accept it open to it just fully embrace it just be with it don't push it away just let it be there and then I investigate so recognize accept investigate just you know fully be with it and and just go go under it you know to really stand under it investigate what is it all about and then not identify and rain not identify just you know be, being with it as it is and not identify with it as as me or mine just be with with the experience as it is it's not it's not about you it's just you know the result of causes and conditions coming together it has a beginning a middle and an end and it's not you it's just what it is and you know that immediately you know produces like a space around that experience and then you know we can, we can just sit with it and start and you know and see it see it uh, dissolving because as soon as you fully pay attention to to an experience it starts to uh, it starts to move really and not because you know we're making it move but because we're becoming aware of what is what it's doing naturally and and then you know the the, the grip which we normally do have if we uh, you know have have a attachment in terms of pushing or pulling about any experience it's just the grip just starts to open like a you know like a flower blossoming really it's it's that the warmth of our attention which we give to to the experience which makes it it makes it open up like a flower when the sun is shining and and then it's it's starting to uh, to change you know and if if we have the good fortune that we have had you know a few of those experiences where we have really been able to fully stay with the process where we can see you know the changing and the opening up and suddenly you know what was a terrible thing starts to change and is a good becomes a, a fortunate experience in our life you can always come back to that and always again remember it you know in 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 other circumstances there can be a very strengthening um, experience which you know which can tremendously increase our faith into the practice and also in our own ability that we can actually do this and I have brought uh, a book here this is the Anguttara Nikaya 
these are called the numerical discourses of the Buddha. And I'm going to read something from the chapter of the threes. Because there's many chapters and ones, the twos, the threes, up to the um, tens or so. Yeah, up to the tens. And I read something from the tree, from the trees, not trees. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it's called Gratification, Danger and Escape. If there were no gratification in the world, beings would not become attached to the world. But as there is gratification in the world, beings become attached to it. So the Buddha doesn't say, you know, that there is no pleasure in the world, basically. He says, of course there is pleasure in the world. That's why we all become attached to it. And then, if there were no danger in the world, beings would not become disenchanted with the world. But as, as there is danger in the world, beings become disenchanted with it. The only problem is that, you know, beings try very hard to not be, become aware of the danger. They distract themselves. This is why they not become, you know, sufficiently disenchanted. Because, you know, disenchantment, and according to the Buddhist teaching, is a good thing. Islam, when the spell is broken, you know, when the spell is broken, that we can find lasting happiness in the world. Once we have really seen that strong enough, once we are disenchanted enough, we are looking for a teaching, we are looking for a path. Therefore, you know, not paying attention to the danger is, is not a good thing to do. Because it keeps us you know, spinning and spinning and not really starting to practice with urgency. And then the last one is, if there were no escape from the world, beings could not escape from the world. But as there is an escape from the world, beings can escape from it. And that escape is, you know, the teaching of the Buddha is, is, a, is a set of different escape routes. But they are not leading away from reality, but they're leading closer to reality. You know, escaping into reality rather than from it, because you can't escape from it. You can try, but it's not gonna be successful. There's lots of people, you know, who have tried with different substances to escape from reality, and they have all become either Buddhists or something else. <laughs> 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 well, well, they've been ending up you know, on the street, basically. So it's not working. Mm-hmm. And also I've brought a little note. I thought you might be interested, you know, what the Buddha said about, about Dukkha. He's, you know, in, in the scriptures, they speak about three kinds of, of suffering, three kinds of Dukkha. Because I think we wouldn't ourselves be able to classify it like this. I thought we might be interested. The first class is called Dukkha Dukkha, the suffering as pain, you know, which we all know, you know, from a broken leg or, or something. So this is Dukkha Dukkha. And the next one is Sankara Dukkha. This is suffering inherent in formations. So this is, you know, all formations are, are continually arising and ceasing. 
And I think it's, you know, it's also sometimes com compared to the law of entropy. So, you know, that any, any kind of a constellation or anything, you know, if we don't attend to it, it has a tendency to fall apart. And then the last one is Viparinya Nama, Dukkata, the suffering of change. And this includes, you know, pleasant and unpleasant experiences because if a pleasant experience ends, then suffering arises. For example, you know, if we have a wonderful experience and if it ends, we, you know, we have a, a feeling of loss. So that's what it, what is meant with it. So that that means you know that all experiences are somehow connected with suffering if we attach to them the pleasant ones and the unpleasant ones. So I, you know, I don't want to depress you by by telling you those things, but rather saying you know that. All these, these three kinds of suffering, if we can really open up to them, they are all grist for the mill, they are all um, teaching us, you know, about the way things are, and they are all helping us to learn and to open up and to step back from, you know, believing in the appearance of things giving us a incentive to look really deep into it and you know start to see that things are not what they appear to be they do exist but they are not existing in the way how our sense organs are you know um, experiencing them and through this looking deeply we come into uh, communication with the way things are and we we increasingly um, have more real outlook onto life and because of this we can respond with wisdom and compassion to our own experience within ourselves in our own lives and also to other people because if you know your own inner experience you can ex extrapolate that onto anybody else in your life and it can only bring you compassion, I guess, at least for me, most of the time. The more I get to know myself, the more uh, compassion I can have for other people. That brings me back, you know, to the matter retreat. And I, was, I, I would like to end, you know, with this lovely chant, which mm -hmm. we have been learning on the retreat, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We learned that from Sarah, this very sweet chant. And we can chant it, and maybe you know you you can join in because it has, it has just four lines. It's very simple. It's not in the book. We it's learned it after the book was printed. Yeah, <laughs> but we're gonna put it in the next version of the book. Yeah, we'll actually probably make a little mantra book at some point. Just yes. a small uh -huh. book. Yeah. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well, may I be peaceful and at ease, may I be happy, may you be filled.
May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be happy. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.